Hey all, it's Evan Hill here of Real Hawk Talk. Super excited to talk to you about our good friends over at Burgermaster. If you know anything about me, I crave burgers in my sleep. I do not mess around. Started in 1952, Burgermaster is the best burger chain in Washington State. They have locations all over the Puget Sound in Aurora, Bellevue, Everett, Mill Creek University, and Mount Vernon. Their fresh ingredients and classic driving experience make them the greatest burger chain in the state of Washington. Stop by Burgermaster on your way home from a Seahawks game. You won't regret it. Hey everyone, it's Brian. The real estate market is crazy. Finding an agent you can trust isn't easy. Thankfully, the one thing I'm more certain of than Brian Schottenheimer calling a running play on second and long is that you can trust John Hurlbut and his team at Altitude Homes. I know John personally, and nobody does it better in Pierce, South King, and Thurston County. So head on over to altitude-re.com HB to get real estate help you need. That's altitude-re.com HB. Or give them a call at 253-222-2626. Again, that's 253-222-2626. Go Hawks! Hey all, Evan Hill here of Real Hawk Talk. Super excited to talk to you guys about our good friend Blake Johnson of ManifestFit.com. Football season is quickly approaching, and it is a struggle to stay in shape while eating burgers and nachos. ManifestFit.com is your one only true online personal training service with workout and nutrition programs specifically based on your needs. They work with clients all over the U.S. and what makes Blake and ManifestFit.com so unique is that they don't believe training should be a luxury item. Now's the time to start. Head over to ManifestFit.com, click on how to join and fill out the form. Their team will get back to you ASAP and help you start building a healthier, happier, louder Seahawks fan life. Hello, and welcome to the 149th episode of Real Hawk Talk. This is Brian Nemhauser uh, at Hawk Blogger on Twitter, and uh, joined by the OG, my uh, original co-host himself, Jeff Simmons, at Real Jeff Simmons on Twitter. Mr. Simmons, can you believe 149 episodes in? We are one away from 150 on this on this podcast. It's crazy. These emergency pods just keep popping up and every, I can't go five minutes on Twitter now and people are demanding, demanding these shows. <laughs> it's true. You know, uh, and this is why, you know, this is why we, people think it's just because we're trying to grow a following, but if you want to, subs- if you want to subscribe and get notified when these things happen, this is why you do it because the Seahawks are making moves whenever they feel like it and it will not be along our podcast schedule. So when they make a move that is worth talking about, we are going to do our best to get on here and do exactly that. Talk about the Seahawks moves. And Jeff, they made some moves today. Um, why don't you fill people in on what happened today? So first, I was just at my girlfriend's parents for dinner and then my phone started buzzing like crazy. So that was first the news that the Seahawks are planning to walk away from Jaron Reed. The national reporters are saying they're trying to trade him. But considering that Jaron Reed posted a message on Twitter, considering his contract, it's hard to imagine a resolution coming other than a release. So my first instinct is, okay, this is how they're paying for all these moves. Jaron, I mentioned our show last week, Jaron Reed's contract stuck out to me like a sore thumb. Okay, figures, okay. I'm like, okay, I'm going to be on Twitter tonight. I need to see what's going to happen. About two hours later, the big reporters come out. The Seahawks have re-signed Carlos Dunlap. So Jaron Reed's money has already been put to use. And listen, I, I want to take a big L on something. I was going crazy about them cutting Carlos Dunlap. At the time, I know a bunch of us did too. I thought that was an insane move. Given all their needs on the roster, I'm taking a massive L. This is some of John Schneider's best work. I know we're going to get into, to dive deep into this, but... To get him back for six million, seven million, once we see the real numbers less, it's just a masterstroke. And we're gonna talk more about this, but the fact that you've already used Reed's money into Dunlap, to me, there's a huge difference in quality between those two players. So it's a pretty significant night after the show we had the other night with Kerry Hyder and Mayoa. There's a lot to dive into here. Yeah, there absolutely is. And uh I would be remiss if I didn't mention we both happen to be wearing our real Hawk Talk uh, light hoodies. Uh, 
this is, this is one of my favorite uh, pieces of, of uh, swag um, that I've got. And folks can go over to hawkblogger.com. There is a link to the store. If there's any of that swag you want, uh, all sorts of good stuff up there um, for folks. Um, I know Dana is a big fan of her travel coffee mug, uh, her Real Hawk Talk travel coffee mug. Um, so, yeah, I'm glad. You know what? I respect it, Jeff. I respect it because... Uh, there are a lot of folks that that have big hot takes and you know emotional reactions. There's a guy that happens to come on this show every once in a while that that that, that, that makes me think of that guy um, that has big emotional swings. And then when the team does something smart, it's like, oh yeah, I forgot that I was uh, so so <laughs> dead set against the moves they're making and. You know, I mean, I'll be, I mean, I'll say exactly what I said back then. Um, I, I remember the exact conversation we had in our chat, which was like, I think you guys were saying like Derek and Evan and I think maybe you, I don't know if the same level, but it would be like a DEFCON level one stupid move for them to cut Carlos Dunlap. Like it was like the worst possible thing. And I was like, uh, I think it's like DEFCON level three. It would be way smarter for them to extend him if they can than to cut him. But I think that, you know, if they get, if they cut him and they can make some other moves, it could end up working out. So it's not that I was like, this is not a, I was right and you were wrong kind of thing. I was not as upset about that move. I thought there was ways they could have cut him and not found their way to these moves. And then it would look pretty bad. So it's not like it was guaranteed one way or the other, but the thing I think we all knew is they couldn't pay him 14 million this year. Yeah. It wasn't going to happen. Not with this cap. Yeah. And if I remember correctly, I think you were pretty quick to turn around on this. I think it was like the first day after they cut him or the first day of free agency. I think that's when you dug into the defensive end list. I remember you posting this in our group and you're like, okay, I get what they're thinking. You look at all these names and even if they don't get done that back, there's going to be options and there's going to be options at the right price point. And the more I started thinking about it too, I sort of shifted to your side because I remember getting into an argument with Evan on our chat. I don't know if you remember this. Evan thought Dunlap was going to get what JJ Watt got. And I kept saying like, there's no chance. No it's just, the market is completely different timing. The timing, Watt was going up against no one. Dunlap was going up against 30 guys. And once that top tier, I remember I said this on one of our shows, eight guys came off the board and then there was this just gap and Dunlap was sitting at the top of that and yeah, and I think you realized that pretty quick. I think you said like the first day of free agency, like, okay, I see what they're thinking now. If you just wait this out, there's a lot of value to be found. And clearly they read the situation right because they've gotten Dunlap, Hyder, and probably Mayoa for the same price as they would have paid Dunlap. <laughs> I think we got we have to do a little math uh, here in a bit to really figure out how good of a deal that they've got. We don't have all the numbers, but we can make some guesstimates. And look, last year, the, 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 the chat was like losing their minds about the team not signing defensive linemen and pass rushers. And I was pretty patient then too. I was like, there's still a lot of choices. There's still a lot of options. There were trade options. There were more free agents, you know, they could still get clowny because clowny was still there. And, and then one by one, everything went away and they had nothing. And they just had like Irvin Mayoa. And it was like, that was an L from, from my perspective back then. So it doesn't always it doesn't always fall to you the way you want. I think I mean I don't know about you. I think this is a situation where Carlos Dunlap wanted to come back here. I think that played a role. Um, I think that they couldn't get to the contract agreement that he probably wanted. But the interesting part here, we don't know the details of the of, of the deal of the contract. But I'll be curious if he actually ends up with roughly what he was asking for in terms of you know um total money even if um you know it isn't a multi-year deal like i i i'm just kind of curious how they structured it and what they were offering originally and what he ended up with yeah. um but in any event i mean look carrie Hyder, do we do you remember like what what he ends up getting um yeah so Hyder's deal is two years six and a half million so it's 3.25 a year it's a, it's actual two-year contract. The third year is avoidable year. So that's where the $10 million was hidden. There'll be a small cap hit in year three, but there's a two-year deal of 3.25 a year. 
And what we know so far about the Dunlap deal is eight and a half million is guaranteed. That's what we've heard. And yeah. we've heard it's a two-year deal as well. Is that right? That, 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 yeah. That's... So it's possible it's a one-year deal with an out. It's possible it's a fake two-year deal, or maybe it's an actual multi-year deal. Because the thing I always liked about Dunlap is I thought he perfectly tied the roster from what they have now to like the next generation of pass rushers. Because you don't know what Daryl Taylor is. Alton Robinson's still not, he's still a rotational guy. And to me, I thought his age where the team is, I thought he, and why I liked him the whole time, I thought he perfectly tied that together. And you have him for a year, it gives you insurance on Taylor if Taylor's not ready. And if Taylor's something next year, then it's probably you can walk from Dunlap. And I thought he was the perfect bridge to where the roster is. And now you just have a crazy number of pass rushers on this team. Well, I, I will tell you the L I am going to take here in just a second. But before we do that, thinking about this defensive line, like the edge, the starting defensive line on the edge and the, the depth they have there now. Kerry Hyder, uh, eight and a half sacks, 55 pressures last year, at least one pressure in every single game, at least two pressures in 15 of his 16 starts. Um he had a 12 and a half percent pressure rate on his, his pass rush snaps. Dunlap had 10 and a half. I want to say that is a really good starting pass rush duo. And they're not just pure, pure pass rushers. They're also decent run defenders as well. Um, and then behind them, you've now got Rasheem green who can rotate with Hyder. You've got uh, Daryl Taylor and you've got Alton Robinson who can rotate with Dunlap. I mean, when's and the Mayoa. last time the Sea And Mayoa. Oh my God, and Mayoa, right? When's the last time the Seahawks had that much depth at defensive end? 2013, the year they won the Super Bowl. I mean... When they had Averill and Bennett and Bryant and Clemens and... Like they haven't had a unit like that. Because if you remember when, like, and they Bruce Irvin in those years, like in that second Super Bowl, like the second Cliff Averill came out, you had like guys off the street rushing the passer. Like they haven't had swarms of bodies like this probably other than that one year. Yeah, I, I'm going to say something crazy. I think that this has a potential to be a deeper edge pass rushing group than the 2013 group. Now, I want to be really clear. I'm not saying it's better. Top end talent of that 2013 group is better than this group. I don't even need to wait for the season to start to know that. Cliff Averill, Michael Bennett, um, you know, even Chris Clemens, those guys were, were really, really good. But one through five, one through six, uh, you know, we'll see what Daryl Taylor ends up being. But That's a wild card. So if, he could be. If he's even like as good as Alton Robinson last year, if that's what he is. That's damn good. And now there's no pressure on him. And that's why I like how they built this unit. Anything you get from him at this point is a bonus. Like ignore the trade up and they spend such a high pick on him. I know the process people on Twitter still go crazy about that, but we can ignore that now because we don't need to spend time worrying about the past. Their defensive line is set up where he, anything he provides is a bonus now. And if he hits, this this unit is going to be crazy good. Yeah, well, and that's the part that I, I so this is where I take the L. I, I, I mean, on the pod, it was a couple nights ago. I, I really didn't think they were going to bring back Dunlap or add another pass rusher. I mean, I would, I was like, I would like them to. It would be nice to see, and it would certainly solidify the group and give me more confidence. I don't think that they're going to keep all of these guys. Like, they don't unless they're switching their defense, which maybe they are yeah. like, they've got so many edge players. I, I, I don't know how you can rotate four and get snaps for four. Five is pretty rare. Six. Like you're not going to get snaps for six no. edge rushers. You're just not like, even if you're running some kind of NASCAR package where you have four small pass rushers along the whole defensive line and certain, like, I just don't see that. So, and, and, you know, you've already burned a year of Daryl Taylor with his injury. Are you really going to have him sit another year and not get snaps? And then 
Alton Robinson, who had what did he have five, five and a half sacks last year? I mean, he was he was really good as a rookie. You gonna steal his snaps? And so I, I am kind of curious if where we end up when this all plays out is does Benson Mayo get cut? I mean, how much guaranteed money does he get? Yeah, that's an interesting possibility. Right. Like I think someone's on the odd odd man out at least. Um, and I want to look back. I'm gonna have to pull up uh their average um keeps at defensive end but um so the one yeah the one thing that i know that i think brock or jake was saying was that they typically keep 10 defensive linemen and he said after they brought in hider there was room for one more defensive lineman but i guess they've removed reed well and let's talk about that so it has a different domino effect possibly yeah so so that is the other news you, you brought up. Um, and for people that didn't hear, uh, so, so the Seahawks, what, what, what it started out as is, and by the way, I'm going to give a shout out to our Patreon community again, our, our Slack community. So patreon.com slash Hawkblogger, you join up, you get access to our Slack channel. I get some of my best Seahawks news there. Like Twitter's always throwing a bunch of stuff out and a lot of it's not actually worth coming and checking out. When I see things starting to buzz up in that, uh, you know, real Hawk talk Slack channel, there's something to pay attention to. And that's the first place I saw Jaron Reed um, getting posted. In fact, can't remember the, I'll have to look it up the person who posted it, but their, their, their caption on the, the tweet from Jaron Reed was this means Dunlap's coming back. So that person was spot on. I mean, that was before the Dunlap news had even broke. And uh, you know, Reed said, Hey, peace out tomorrow at one o'clock it's official. Uh, and as you said, the Seahawks are going to try to trade him. Um, they're going to try to do a little bit of what the Raiders did, which is when people knew that they were going to cut them and see if there's any market. The difference between that situation and this situation is, is there really a strong market for Reed? Like strong enough to even get a draft pick? I, I just don't know if I see it. I, it would be amazing if they come out of this, if they come out of this with a seventh round pick, that would, that would be impressive to be honest. Yeah. Um... If they, I mean, I just don't see it. I, I think that they're going to end up cutting him. And, uh, you know, that that leaves some questions for the interior line. And I was kind of talking about this with Joe Fan. I'm kind of curious your thoughts. Jaron Reed's kind of played three tech a little bit for them. Puna Ford's been their nose tackle. But what happened last year that I think a lot of people didn't realize is Puna Ford started playing three tech um, during the season. And when he really popped middle of the year, he was playing a lot of three tech. And so one of the things I'm curious about is if they're thinking Puna is going to actually now be their starting three tech and Brian Monet will be their starting nose. And then you just need a depth rotational veteran. And there's a lot of those still. Is Al Woods? Yes, Al Woods is available. Like for some reason, I wouldn't be like, he would be a perfect get for them for this kind of role. Yeah. And the other thought I had was Collier playing three tech. Right. So yeah, that's what Joe had kind of said when he put it out there. I don't. Know, I, I see Collier as as a rotational pass rush, you know. You know, guy. I don't see him as a base defense defender, defensive tackle. Like no, I just don't no. think he's big enough for that. But I think he would be a nickel rusher in the three tech. Yeah, yeah. I think he could definitely play a role. He can definitely play that. I mean, he did that last year for sure. Um, but that could be your base with Monet and with Puna. And they got Puna a really good deal. That's another good move. No one's really talked about this offseason. I think it was like two years, seven million. Yeah, I mean, he's going to have to keep coming forward, you know, yeah. um, from from where he was. But um, yeah, I, I'm kind of looking right now, trying to see the defense. Yeah, the, the average, the Seahawks average actually defensive line keep since 2010 over Pete Carroll's tenure is actually about eight and a half um, defensive linemen. Um, there was a year 2013 where they kept, I think, 13 defensive linemen because they had so many good players. So they have, they have gone crazy on defensive line at times when they have that much talent, but it's pretty rare, um, for them to, to keep more than like eight, um, defensive linemen, um, you know, on the roster. So what do you think right now, as you see it, what do you expect the starting base defensive line to look like for the Seattle Seahawks? As of now, I would say Hyder at five, Dunlap at Leo, and then Puna 
at the three tech and Monet as the nose. Let's compare that to the starting defensive line week one last year for the Seahawks. Light years ahead. Right? Well, it, it was. It was Mayoa at Leo. Yep. Collier at five. Yep. And then Jaron Reed at three and Puna at nose. Yeah. Which is as average to below average as it gets. So you're talking about the two starting defensive ends from last year, Mayoa and Collier. One, both of them may not make the roster. You never know. I mean, both of those guys are candidates for potentially not making the roster, depending on how things play out. Yeah. If they do make the roster, neither one's a starter, probably. Um, Collier has some chance, but I think that's unlikely. And both of them are likely, you know, the highest they'd be on the depth chart is, is you know, backup. Um, okay. You know, a Mayoa might be third, fourth string. You know, you, you just don't know. It's a huge difference. It's a huge, huge difference. Um, and I just wonder, this de- it also doesn't take into, into account Jamal Adams, right? Yeah. He led you in sacks last year with nine and a half. Yeah. Oh my God. I didn't think about that. So you've got Jamal Adams, you've got uh, all these edge rushers. You've got uh, LJ Collier, who was showing up um, interior as a as an inside pass rusher. Um, yeah, like and and I mean, just imagine if Daryl Taylor is good. Imagine if yeah, he. So I don't want to get. I'm very lukewarm. I'm just trying to be realistic on him, but like I said, there's no pressure on him right now. The way they built their roster, it's just sort of anything you get is a bonus. Yeah. Yeah, so then my question for you, Jeff, is thinking about the rest of the division. What defensive end group is the best in the division? Okay, so let's go, like- through, let's go through them. The Cardinals have Chandler Jones, J.J. Watt, and then not much else behind it. Well, Watt's a tackle, not an end. Well, I think, I think he's going to play big end. Are they going to play? Th- they're still playing three, four. Yeah, I thought. Okay, I thought they were four, three. But yeah, you might. You might be right. So they have him. Not much else. San Francisco has Nick Bosa, Armstead, and D Ford. Well, Armstead's a tackle. Armstead's a tackle. So they have D Ford, and they have uh, Abukam or I yeah, Abukam from the Rams. From the Rams. And the Rams have Floyd. Not much else behind him. Yeah. I mean, they obviously Rogers is gone. gone. Uh, we look it up quick. Aaron Donald counts as like three players. Yeah, exactly. But it, I think uh, it's hard to not say Arizona with those top two guys, but top to bottom, Seattle definitely has the deepest group, and I don't think it's close. I, I think we might find, if, if as we look throughout the league, I think it's going to be hard to find a team that has – that quality through that that deep uh, a list of defensive ends i think there's no doubt that there's going to be teams that have higher top shelf you know top end um of their their edge group but i mean you know how high i'm on, on carry hider like i yeah, i think that's just a san francisco's group is pretty good bosa's well we bosa's coming off an acl but he's like a top five defender in the league when he's healthy yep, yep. That's well, what I mean. Like, I think there's top shelf guys. Like, I'm not saying, hey, I'd take this over any other group, but it would not surprise me if the Seahawks edge group ends up being more productive um, in terms of sacks and pressures than any other in the division. That would not. Yeah, and they're, the thing I talk about so much is they're built to handle depth and injuries. And it looks like the season's going to be 17 games this year. So, is that right? It looks like it. It's trending towards that. If not this year, it's 100% next year. So having that depth is really important. That's really fascinating. I hadn't thought about that angle. I mean, I don't know if defensive end is the position that you'd need the most depth with an extra game, but um, (laughs) depth anywhere can't hurt. Mm -hmm. Um, You know, the other thing that, you know, we should talk about for a second, it's not news yet, but it's newsworthy is... Richard Sherman. 
I thought that was newsworthy. Yeah. So for folks that didn't see it, first of all, there's been some little light taps in the news. There was a little NFL network thing about Tom Pelissero saying it wouldn't be the craziest thing if Richard Sherman went back. And he said it was like a five out of 10 crazy thing. You know, it's not that crazy that it wasn't acrimonious when he left. And um, so that was discussed and then it was re, you know, shared out. Then Liz Matthews, um, reporter who's tight with a lot of the players. And uh, Liz uh, is a, a good egg. She, she's, a, she's a good person. And she ribbed Richard on Twitter. Like, do I need, I can't remember what she said. Something like, do I need to get my something or other back? Some inside joke that they have. And his response was not yet. Something along those lines. And he's been very clear so far in all those kind of banter situations. Like, you guys don't need me. It's okay. Not yet was his response. And to me, that's like Richard picks his words carefully. Um, that's interesting. That's interesting. Like, and I'll tell you, Jeff, you add a corner like Richard Sherman to this roster. Now defense starts looking not just like good enough. They start looking really good. And, and I, I got to say, people are freaking out like, oh, Rich, Richard Sherman's washed up. He's old. He, you know, he can't cover anymore. I, I don't know what people are watching. That is not when he's on the field. He's still a damn good cornerback. Yeah, I particularly remember uh, a game last year where he came back from his injury. And they were playing the Rams in like a massive game at the time for the Rams. And Sherman, just watching the Niners all year, just his presence on the field completely changed them. Just having him play, their confidence on defense was remarkably different. His ability to just cause turnovers and read the routes and provide confidence to the rest of the guys. Anytime I saw him on the field last year, it was apparent to me. And I'm surprised like a rebuilding team, like he probably doesn't want to go to the Jets, I thought. He could end up there with Saleh. But to me, yeah, like he doesn't have to play every game. Just what he can do in the building, what he can do helping develop and having a guy like Witherspoon around him who he seems pretty high. I think that would make a big difference. And DJ Reed seems to be high on him. And then you have him with those safeties. That becomes a really, really good DB group. But it's not like last year where you're Sherman and Dunbar. I mean, Dunbar and Griffin, you're hoping like between the safeties, between Sherman DJ Reed, Flowers, and Witherspoon. Like, that's a really solid back end to what you have at the front on the defense. Well, think about this. Dream for a second. Let's you get a Richard Sherman. You've got DJ Reed. And let's say Marquise Blair comes back and is, I mean, that was easily the guy on defense that everybody was talking about in training camp last year that was just going to blow up. And he looked pretty good in his first two games until he got hurt. Um, you've got like, in that situation, you've got Ugo Amadi sitting on the bench. You've got Akella Witherspoon sitting on the bench. You've got Trey Flowers sitting on the bench. Now all of a sudden you've got as deep of a cornerback group as you've had in years. Mm-hmm. So you know, I don't think it's out of the question. I don't think the Seahawks are done. I think, I think they, wide receiver is still, they're only going to make one more move. Wide receiver is the move to make. Yeah. But I don't think it's out of the question that they make two more moves. And I think the way that they would do that, I mean, they've got the, the, their options now are to work something out with Bobby and or work something out with Russ in terms of a restructure. Yeah, I think it's, yeah, the Reed stuff will open up enough to sign Dunlap and probably get them close to the cap. But they still have the third linebacker spot sitting out there. We don't know who that's going to be. KJ's market seems dead. Like, I don't think the Cowboys signed a linebacker. I don't know what where KJ's at right now. It's going to be pretty devastating for him. Yeah. So, I mean, we talked about this a little bit before, but we, I mean, I think, I think we did this last time. It was KJ Dunlap or Sherman were the yeah. choices I gave. I, th- I think it was, I think those were the choices. No, I think it was Hilton. Oh, Hilton. It was Hilton. Yes. Hilton, by the way, signed for way more money than way the more money. Yeah. I was a huge, like sign Hilton. Like he got 10 million bucks. 
Yeah. So there was zero chance yeah, I was paying that. I thought he'd get six at the most. Yeah. Yeah. So that was, that was out of the question. Yeah. That was a waste of time. So there was, I mean, a lot of, there was a, at least a few answers, at least a couple of answers were Dunlap and that's what they got. So now we're at the next stage and, and Hilton's gone. So I think, I mean, people have mentioned Sammy Watkins. I don't I don't think he's signed yet. I'm not super high. I mean, I think it'd be okay, but that's not, I don't think it's a great third receiver fit to me. Yeah, me either. Um, I think Golden Tate is lurking out there. So do I. And uh, Jeremy Fowler mentioned him as well the other day. Did he? He said the Seahawks were scouring the uh, one-year receiver contracts, and he mentioned Golden Tate. He said, obviously, Russell wants Antonio Brown. I think he mentioned, like, Willie Sneed. Mm. I would be very excited about that. He's not very good anymore. <laughs> yeah. I mean, Derek Derek in our chat is super excited about D.D. Westbrook. Um... Like, D.D. Westbrook has – a ton of upside. He's got a ton of skill. I don't know if I see the front office liking him. Why is that? I just think they're probably going to be looking for more of a polished player. But I guess they've had David Moore in that role, and David Moore and him are pretty similar. Yeah. So Golden Tate, he was mouthy as ever last year. Um, and honestly, I'm pulling up his numbers. Uh, I know he didn't get as many targets. Um, let's see here. Uh, all right. So 2020, he had 35 receptions for 388 yards, a couple touchdowns. Um, that's down from the year before. He had 49 receptions, 14 yards a catch, six touchdowns. Um, how old is Golden Tate? Drafted 11 years ago. Yeah, he is 32 years old. I mean, Golden, I just, I don't believe Golden's done. I just don't believe it. I mean, the guy's built like a truck. He hasn't had a, you know, major injury. Um, he, I think he fits exactly what they kind of need. You've, you've so do I. That's why I like him so much. Lot receiver. There's a clear hole in the, the type of guys they have now and the type of guys they don't have. And David Moore was sort of, they tried to use him in more of a horizontal role, which is really important in that McVay offense. And you have the guys that can get deep. You don't want Golden Tate doing this at this point of his career, but Golden Tate's a yards after catch guy. You can get him on short routes. He can be a really good third down guy. I know Pete loves talking about third down. And they don't really have a guy that wins yards after catch and sort of, a middle of the field receiver. And I don't know what Golden Tate's relationship is with the team, but I think he's a perfect complement to what they have right now. Yeah. There should be no hard feelings there because the Seahawks wanted to bring him back. The offer that they made him was not an offer that he was going to take. And I think the yeah. team knew that um, he got, he's been paid. He's been to the pro bowl. He's, you know, he's had that. He's seen the, the kind of the underside of, of the league now and how being in a, a crap franchise can feel. Yeah, he's been in a lot. I, I just wonder, like, the more I think about it, it's just a really solid fit. I mean, the other thing that Tate can do is he can play inside and out. So you can mix and match, um, you know, him with, with both Lockett and – Metcalf who Metcalf started playing a little bit of slot now and then as well, just to get different matchups. That's a pretty interchangeable group. Um, and you've got familiarity with Russ. He's good in scramble drills. He was always good with that. He's been good on deep passes and high pointing balls. You know, I know that his athleticism is probably not exactly what it was back then, but uh, that's the one I'm, I'm going to kind of keep my eye on and, and see if, if he ends up back in Seattle. Yeah, I, I agree with everything you said. I think he compliments – everyone's worried right now who looks at this roster. That if Lockett gets hurt, what happens? And if you have to go out of a game with Metcalf and Tate as your receivers, you're not that screwed. Like, you can get by with that for a couple of weeks if that's the case. And like you said, I think he is such a good compliment. At this point in his career, he is a wide receiver three. Let's be real. Yeah. He's still in the market for a reason. All the receivers have started to come off, and he's still there. He's a little older. 
and he hasn't been the same flashy player, but for a team that really needs, like how many targets is the third receiver going to get in this offense with Gerald Everett, with the two target hogs at the receiver, Metcalf and Lockett are going to get most of the catches. So you just need a functional third guy. It could be a draft pick, but I think Golden Tate is similar. To what I said about Dunlap, he kind of eases the transition on the roster. So I don't think you're going to be comfortable with Freddie Swain at that point. Yeah. And Ursua, definitely not. So, yeah, I think really the age, the price, and based on who's left, because I don't think Antonio Brown fits at all. He was going to hate the targets he would get. He's going to hate getting the ball 30 <laughs> times a season. Like, well, that, that, that's a great question. So I'm looking up. You, I'm, I'm going to ask you, all right? Uh how many targets you're going to not get close to this because I wouldn't have guessed this at all. How many targets do you think Tyler Lockett had last year? He had a hundred receptions. So I'll give you the reception number. 128, 129. Good. Very close. 132. So he was number one on the team with 132 targets. DK Metcalf was second on the team. How many targets do you think he got? 115. You guess pretty close to Tyler. He was 129. See, that's what I mean. Guys, they, hogs, like. they started every game and got basically the same amount of targets per game. 132, 129. David Moore was third on the team in targets. How many targets do you think he had? 50, 60. <laughs> You're good, Jeff. 47. Wow. So you go 132, 129, 47. So I think people really like, this is why, I mean, people freaking out about the wide receiver three spot. Yes. Like you want someone of quality there. And if you have someone of quality, they'll probably get a few more targets and sure. And now you got a, a Sean McVay style offense. Maybe the third receiver plays more of a role. All that stuff's fine. Even with all of that, I think you're maybe talking at most, at most 70 targets like yeah. at most. And I, th- I think you've got to remember that players aren't stupid. And a lot of people will bang their head against the wall. Like why hasn't Seattle brought in a third receiver? Something I mentioned in our chat today is for example, another team Baltimore is having trouble striking receivers in free agency. I'm going to bring this back to Seattle in a second. And wh- I heard that Diana Russini say this on TV. And I heard the same thing from a source of mine is that I heard players were resistant on signing with Baltimore as a receiver because they don't like what Greg Roman's offense does to receivers. And if you look, if you spin that around to Seattle, it's not saying that because they run the ball, blah, blah, but they're looking at targets and they see that Tyler and DK are going to get X amount of targets. Do they want to sign a place where they're going to get 50 targets? Are they jumping at that? Like is Josh Reynolds jumping at that? We all seem to forget this. We all seem to bang our heads against the wall and maybe that's why they should draft receivers. That might be an argument more for that, but this might not be the most, desirable third receiver job. Everyone will say, well, do you want to play with Russ? I think you can just look at the numbers. I think they realize that Metcalf and Lockett are going to get most of the catches and are people jumping at this opportunity? And maybe that's why they've had trouble filling this position. I think that's, I think that's fair for sure. Um, I'm going to come back to something soon here. Um, Yeah. So, I mean, I think Golden Tate last year, um, I'm going to pull that back up. Do I have that open here? Um, maybe I close that down. Anyway, Golden Tate last year had, uh, actually does not say how many targets and then what I have, but like I said, he only had, you know, a handful of, of receptions on the year. And, um, I think he's at the right point in his career to take that third spot. Um, for folks curious, he had a 66 uh, grade from a PFF as a, as a receiver. One of the lowest of his career since his rookie year. But I mean, the year before he was 73. The year before that, he was 71. The year before that, he was 82. The year before that, he's 72. The year before that, he's 76. I mean, he's pretty much, he's Golden Tate. He's the guy. And I saw enough of him last year, even in New York, that when he got chances, he still was the same cocky dude and he would make plays and make the other team eat it. And honestly, like the Seahawks need that swag. I mean, I think they needed the swag last year when Jamal Adams brought it. 
Um, I think that DK Metcalf started bringing that last year. Um, I think that having that kind of attitude, I mean, if you add a Richard Sherman and a Golden Tate, you're talking about adding some real attitude to this team. And as much as I love Russell as the leader, like that's not what he brings. Like he is, he's a good dude. He and Bobby are kind of like good dudes uh, that are like stand up citizens and like treat everybody really well. (laughs) But, you know, they don't necessarily come across as like the, you know, the baddest, you know, dog on the block. So, you know, that that's, Bobby would kill me for saying that, but, but you know, that that's just, I think a personality difference between this team and the past teams. And I, I personally, as a fan, I would enjoy watching a little bit more of that. Yeah. And Jamal brought that a little bit, but people have mixed feelings on Jamal because of that trade. But if you had him and Sherman, just some of the guys they have on the roster, like Brooks is more of a quiet guy. It seems and Quandre Diggs has some personality. I don't know much about Witherspoon. DJ Reed has a ton of like confidence. And- That's so true. And you, it's funny you bring up Diggs. Like he quietly, with all that went on last year, he was just an easy guy to overlook. But like from the midseason on, he was good. Yeah, he was, he really-, was really good. And he started off so bad. Like he was like a non factor. And then he just, he came on. I don't know how some, some of it was Jamal Adams being out and then coming back in and whatever it was. But, Man, he he really. I, I, I'm looking forward to seeing him play again next year. Um. Okay, I got another question for you because so far we've been pretty prescient, my friend. Yeah. Like we talked about, Jaron Reed was the next obvious move for this team to make from a cap perspective. We were talked about it a bunch. Talked about it two days ago, and we were we didn't think that they'd be able to trade him. We said that it looks like they're not going to be able to trade him. Maybe they get lucky, but probably not. All that's true. Next move. Obviously, most likely, probably a restructure. Are we agreed there? That's probably the most. I don't think there's any more contracts you can cut. Well, there might not be other contracts you can cut, but we're talking about that now you're down to the the bottom of the barrel in in terms of receiver. Mm -hmm. Tyler Lockett would create 12.3 million in cap space if you traded him. No, you can't at this point. We don't even have a wide receiver three. They're, they, they, if they were going to do this, they would have had to do this at the beginning of the offseason or in a year where they had draft picks. Because if you had, if you signed someone and then brought in a draft pick, you could have replaced that. And this is, sort of why people get so frustrated they didn't draft the receiver last year. Yep. This would have moved the way their roster set up. They just can't, they can't, they take away one of their few competitive strengths. I know it's an intriguing idea, but it just, if DK gets hurt after that, you're left with nothing. Yeah. You can't do it. You miss the boat on that. If you're going to. Yeah. Yeah. I think that's probably right, Jeff. I, I you know, I'm trying to think like if they got a third round pick for him and they signed Watkins and Tate for, for, you know, less than 10 million. Yeah. Like, or maybe that there's another trade. You know, I, I don't know. I mean, it seems um, like I would say that to me, the chances are not zero. Like, I, I agree with your logic, but the chances are not zero in my mind. I just see what the offense has been when Tyler Lockett's not right. Mm-hmm. I know it's a different offense, but to me, it's just, it's way too, I, I know I've been wrong. I was wrong about this Dunlap risk and maybe John sees it differently, but I just think you're creating a very slippery slope with your receiver group, which is paper thin right now. So unless you're certain that Golden Tate can be a number two receiver, Sammy Watkins, who has severe injury problems and durability issues and hasn't been able to stay healthy his whole career, I don't see it. I think it's way too risky. I think extending – I obviously, they haven't extended anyone, so it's, we got to probably stop saying extend people. But to me, I see an extension more likely than a trade. Well, that's a, that's a great point. 
That's a great point. So like I tweeted about that well before the season, the off season started. Um, that's the other way you can go with Tyler. So one way is to cut bait. The other way is to extend him and that could lower like they haven't done that so far. It seems like that would be tough because you know, you got DK coming up in a little bit and you're going to want to go, you know, you're going to have to spend a ton to keep him and you're going to do it. So I don't know if they're going to extend Lockett, but that is another way to create cap space. And I want to know your opinion here. Do you think that they're hesitant to restructure Russ because they're not sure that they want to keep him around? I don't think for this year, I think for next year. Right. If you restructure him, it makes training him next year. The whole thing is they didn't want the 39 million of dead cap. I think by restructuring him, they push that same problem out a year. And if the year doesn't go well and Russ starts causing fuss again, then maybe they're weary of that because, well, listen, if I think if the right trade offer came in, they might've done it this year. So then uh, are we arriving then through the, that logic flow that the most likely way that they will clear cap space is to restructure Bobby? Yeah. That's what I think will happen. Yeah. That seems, that seems, that seems right. Um, Although I think it would be really, it would be quite a statement if they, if they restructured Russ. Well, listen, I think they should. Yeah. And like, I still see people pushing this Russ might be traded in the 2021 story. I saw Rich Eisen show tweeted out a thing with, I think one of the ESPN reporters. Like, are you not following Russell's social media right now? He did it again tonight. He's celebrating the signs of rotational defensive linemen. Is this a guy who wants to get traded? It's not like they're signing Jamal Adams and getting a superstar or something. He celebrated Benson Mayo. Like, this is not a guy who wants to get traded. I know Jeremy Fowler came out earlier in the week and said him and Pete have started to talk. I mean, Pete is listening. I thought that was super notable. No one's really talked about that. So we need to get rid of the story. I know everyone's like, well, the draft, something might happen. Who's trading for him? Fowler said in the same article that he's not expanding his no trade list. So what, the Bears are going to somehow come up with a better offer? Like, the story is getting stupid. We have to get rid of it now. It is. It is. And there was something you shared in our chat. And I'm trying to remember, you know, there's a couple of quotes that were in it. And I don't think it was necessarily about Russ was some, one of it about Dunlap. And then I, thought, I can't remember what it was, but. Oh yeah. It was, he said that Dunlap was still part of the plan. He said that things were going well with Russ and Russ was really happy with the off season. He liked the Everett move. He liked the Gabe Jackson move. And the third one was the receivers that they're still looking at receivers. That's right. That's right. So I will say for people that are like wishing Evan was here, we always wish Evan was here because uh, we tried to lure him out of retirement today. We tried to get him here. Uh, I was taunting him about, uh, I actually, for the folks that didn't know, I, I told him not only that Jaron Reed was cut, which is probably the best news uh, he's heard, but then I, I told him that Quentin Jefferson got signed um, <laughs> and he totally fell for it. Uh, so um, anyway, I want to read some of Evan's uh, text messages to uh, Jeff and I. Um, some of them are R-rated. Um, after I told him about Quentin Jefferson and, and suckered him, he said, you bleeping cocksucker. Um, uh, and then um, I'm also going to offer that he called Jaron Reed a baby back bitch. Um, uh, <laughs> <laughs> I think you guys might want to know that. Uh, and uh, other Evan notable sayings is that uh, he's blown away by this offseason and um, uh, honestly thinks this might be Schneider's best offseason uh, in Seattle pending the draft. Um, so yeah, I think that's one of the reasons he's staying off Twitter. I don't think he wants to uh, in interfere with his new brand. So. Well, he did say he's more excited about Jaron Reed getting cut than he is about Dunlap being signed. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> so no worries. Evan will be back. He is taking a mental health break and get okay, on. Here's a question. If, yes. Dunlap, if Reed gets cut, who gets more money as a free agent this year? Reed, Jefferson got $3 million from the Raiders. Okay. Does Reed surpass that in his next contract? 
he I think he does. I think he'll be I think he's a four million dollar player in this in this market. Yeah, probably. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, for the record on that whole thing, people I think I think it's a tempest in a teacup. I really do. I yes, they paid him more, but it wasn't like it was not an obscene amount. Like for he was a perfectly fine starting defensive tackle who got you what seven, seven and a half sacks last year. Um, which is damn good for an interior lineman. And he was a good run defender. And it was a one-year deal, essentially. So you have some, you know, some money left over. Um, let's take a quick look. Uh, you're going to have $5 million in dead money from it. Okay. Like, there are... It's pretty hard to have a devastatingly bad two-year deal that really is a one-year deal. So like, I don't know. It, it was not their best signing uh, for sure, but I just don't see it as being that catastrophic. Like he was reasonably productive and now they're out of the contract. And so you move on. Yeah. Like the problem with the contract was always the second year. The second year he's, he's making 13 and a half million. And obviously they didn't know a cap crunch was coming, but that was always the problem with the contract. And it wasn't a good contract, but it wasn't like catastrophic as some people make it out to be. But the best part of this offseason, I think, and I, I know you kind of touched on it from Evan's takes, but I don't think there's one move that I'm left scratching my head about. I don't think there's one move that you can say wasn't relatively smart. Not only that, Jeff, but of the moves that have made, which are the ones that you are, you know, scale of one to 10, 10 being 100% confident is going to work out which are the ones that you're you're most confident are gonna going to actually be the guys that we need them to be that they signed dunlap dunlap and hider for me are way up there see for me hider it's the contract like it's hard even if he stinks it's hard to like he makes so little it's hard to complain I think Gerald Everett's contract looks a lot better once the real numbers came out. He's at $4 million. That's amazing. Yeah. He's at $4 million. And I saw someone say that that was one of like someone was doing a poll. I think it was ESPN did a poll of like Mina and all their top writers. Someone had that as the best signing of the off season. And that was a six. Like Hunter Henry making like 16 million or whatever. Someone said one of the GMs told them that Everett has the potential to be a top 10 tight end in the league. That's what I saw. I mean, he has not consistently done that. Like, I mean, let's be real honest. There's a reason he was available for that price. He's been super inconsistent. Um, hard to know how much of that had to do with his quarterback, though. Yeah, and I don't know if you saw that story on McVay and Goff this week. Did you get a chance to read that? I didn't. So it was like uh, their ESPN writer, Lindsay Theory, broke down how their relationship fell apart. And it's actually hilarious because the way McVay was talking is literally how – me, you, Nathan, and Evan talk about golf in the chat. Like, it was hilarious to read. I'll send you guys a link. Yeah, I wanted to read it. He was talking about how he thought he had to call the perfect play for golf to execute. I remember I got trashed by, like, Lewis Riddick on Twitter for saying the same thing last year. So, hearing Sean, Sean McVay is, like, a vicious guy. Like hearing some of these – how he just, like, tore Jared Goff apart in front of other players and he, like, destroyed his confidence. It was pretty – it was a pretty interesting article. It was, like – that Seattle article that came out earlier on like how Russ and the coaches didn't get along. It was very similar to this. So yeah, it's kind of sad. We don't have golf around anymore. Now that we have this good defensive line group and I'll miss him. Yeah. I mean, one of the things that we haven't really talked about is what's the state of the offensive tackles in the division. I mean, the, the 49ers got Trent Williams back, but you know, I got to pull that up and look at the, Good question. 49ers still have good tackles. The right tackle is a first round pick. Um, so let's look. The Cardinals, they have Beecham and who's their other tackle? DJ Humphreys, it looks like. Yeah, those guys are okay. They're yeah, like, they're just fillers. They're okay. Um, Arizona, or sorry, um, Rams. It'll be the same two as last year Whitworth and Havenstein. Yeah. I mean, Whitworth is what, like 70, 
years old at this point. Yeah, I don't know how he keeps doing it. He's going to be 39 years old. I mean, he's going to really be like 40. That's crazy. I don't know how he's still playing. Ah, oh, man. I don't know about that. And, and Havenstein is okay. He's not great. Yeah, he's like a worse version of Shell. And then you said the 49ers. Yes, they have Trent Williams. And then they've got uh, – it's McGlinchey. Is McGlinchey, yeah. He's a, he's a good right tackle. He's not good. No? He's a good run blocker, but he's not a good pass blocker. Um, let's see how he did against Seattle last year. Yeah, he he did not do against the Seahawks last year. And, yeah, he's not been a good pass blocker throughout his career. So, I mean – it matters because I mean the Seahawks are going to be able to to over like you remember two years ago when the Seahawks had Clowney and that game in San Francisco and they could yeah, not they could him. not stop him. Um. Anyway, I I think that it's going to be interesting to watch. But uh, I kind of took us off off topic. What were you talking about before that? You're talking about the uh, the Rams and uh, well, yeah, we were talking just about Gerald Everett and how Jared Goff wasn't able to maximize him. Well, they also had a ton of weapons on that offense too, where Everett was probably like the fifth target. Yeah. I mean, I'm looking at, at Everett here. Um, so yeah, I mean, he's just, God, he just sits there as like a, basically an average guy for them. Um, but the year before, I mean, they had the PFF had him as a 79 pass catcher. And the year before that, it was 75. I mean, that Seahawks haven't had tight ends with that kind of receiving potential in, in a long time. And so now you've got him. I think we still don't know what Colby Parkinson is either, to be totally honest. Like I liked what I saw in the one game that he got some snaps again, granted it's toward the end of a game, but he looked solid. Um, and I like him as, as a third tight end with Disley. And yeah, so they got to get that third receiver. You get, you add a guy like Golden Tate and I think you're starting to put a wrap and then it's, I mean, everything else is just bonus from there on out. So the Seahawks have historically gone bargain shopping. Um, I think they're going to restructure and get enough. Like I could definitely see, it would not shock me if they make three more moves. Like th that's a lot. That's the top end for me. And that would mean that they cleared a bunch of space. But, you know, it could be a KJ Wright and a Sherm and a Tate. It could be a, you know, a, a Tate and a Wright. It could be, you know, an Al Woods. And, you know, like there's a few different moves that they could make here that are all going to probably be under four million bucks. Um, Would you take Geno Atkins? Geno Atkins. Like him and Dunlap are uh, old. That's the first name I thought of when uh, he got, well, when he got cut, I was like, cut Reed. Like, I love that move. Him and Adam Dunlap were a duo in Cincy for years. That is a great freaking call, Jeff. Yeah. That you should tweet that, man. That's a really good call. Um, what was Gino Atkins? So Gino Atkins is 33. Last year he was not very good, but he only played a handful of games. Well, so yeah, sort of like Dunlap. I think he was just checked out. The year before, you know, he was still rushing the passer like pretty darn well. So guys who have played in those shitty organizations like Detroit and Cincy and the Jets. Oh my God. You come here, it's just like their eyes just pop out of their head. Like you could say what you want about Pete and his issues, but like those guys love playing for him when you come from like a Bengals or a Lions. It's so true. I'm going to look at defensive tackles real quick to see who's available. Um, Kawan Short. Is also an interesting name. Um, Jarrell Casey's available still. Yeah, like those guys are not going to cost much. That's one Corey year. Peters is available, and he's coming off a big injury, but that guy is super productive. Those are some actually some interesting names. Um, that's probably it. As I'm looking through, unless you're excited about Snacks Harrison again. No, no more of that. You got Geno Atkins, Kwan Short, Jarrell Casey. Um, hopefully they don't re-sign Shamar Stefan. Oh, God. Um, Corey Peters. You do have Danny Shelton out there. That's another name. Yeah. Um, 
Yeah, Steve McClendon's kind of old at this point, um, and Al Woods. So, yeah, there's there's some there's a there's definitely a, a rotational vet guy for them to go at and nab, uh, you know, there. So, yeah, it's it's a it's a good spot, dude. Um, anything else that we haven't covered? I, th- I think really we just like big picture. I think that this is sort of what Evan said. I think it's hard to deny that this is from my perspective. And I was just on a show earlier in the week, sort of criticizing the front office and how they built this team. And yeah. And there's still a lot of issues for next year because of how many of these are one-year deals and the quantity of players that are unsigned, but just from a 2021 perspective, and I still see people pretty negative. This is a really, really, to me, a good off season. And I, I got into it with a guy today who was just like, well, they didn't improve their roster meaningfully in any way. I'm like, it's, well, it's free agency. All you can do is tweak the team. Like this isn't the draft. You're not landing. But like, if you look across the roster, how much better it looks, how much more balanced it looks like just adding Gabe Jackson alone to me would have been a pretty okay off season considering how bad left guard was. But like, I saw some of the beat writers saying like, well, they brought back eight of the nine offensive linemen. So Russell's going to be pissed. Like to me, that was fucking stupid. Like what, they're going to change swing tackles and backup guards? Like, no, there was two positions they can upgrade. They upgraded one of them, and they might upgrade the other one in the draft. Like, Russell's not complaining because their backup left guard is too shitty. Yeah, we we didn't talk about those other moves that they did make. They brought back Jordan Simmons, and they brought back um, Cedric Abuehi. Yeah, like those are fine backups. Like, that's what you want in a backup, someone who can come in and not shit themselves in the leg. Like, <laughs> yeah. Like, I mean, I was really down on Abuehi, but he did all right. I mean, I think people <laughs> people lost faith in him, but I'm looking at his PFF grades right now. That game against Philadelphia really shook me because he was terrible. And his really PFF bad. grade for that was 36.7. I mean, it, it, it certainly it matched. That. Really saw, yeah. He was so bad. But then his next three starts – 73.4, You know, the 66.5 isn't fantastic, but it's not no. disastrous. No, that's, that's, a backup. A, that's what swing tackle is. Yeah. So I thought he was fine. Jordan Simmons was a top 10 um, run block win rate guy um, by ESPN metrics. This is your backup uh, left guard who – you know, started, I think, six games for you last year. So, I mean, uh, you know, I, I guess I mean, he's not the best player ever, but I don't think there's anything wrong with him. And I don't think, I don't think, like you're saying, I don't think Russ was that upset. The biggest question mark, like for me and all the things that they did is Ethan Posick. Like yeah. that's their biggest question mark. And Ethan Posick was not the worst player in the NFL. Like, so that's why for me, like, I, I really want to hear them call center with their first pick. I, that, that's what I'd like. I know other people want a receiver and, and that's all fine. I, I want them to have a center. And, and if they do that, then I think we're in real good shape, dude. Like um, I think, I think. Yeah. Potentially upgraded both spots on the offensive line and you potentially have a long-term piece there than not a guy that you're looking to replace in two years with Dwayne Brown and Gabe Jackson and shells up after this year, you want a guy that's going to be around for a while. And all the free agent names we were looking at, those were one year guys, like unless you got Corey Lindsley. Well, I mean, think about it. Running backs never been deeper, like at least in in the last few years for the team, Um, you know, and, and healthier as well. Receiver, once they get this next, person they're they're they've already got Lockett and 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 Metcalf offensive line we've already talked about is is as good as as it's been defensive line I think there's some question at least a question of defensive tackle and they've they've got to figure that out but the deepest defensive end group they've had cornerback I think that could use another player there but it's not you know I, I think it's acceptable um linebacker you know, I think that they need another sp- person there. I really do. Um, I'm Darryl not Taylor to play Sam linebacker. What's that? You think Daryl Taylor can play Sam linebacker? I don't think so. I think Alton Robinson might be able to, yeah. but I, 
I hope not, because that guy's it, it's a waste of his talent to be off ball like that. Um, okay. I think and we haven't really talked about Jordan Brooks, who was pretty good last year. He was pretty good. I just don't want Cody Barton being the other starter. <laughs> so they need something there. But fourth round pick safety, they're in good shape there. So like top five safety group. What's the what's the weakest spot on this team? Linebacker? Probably cornerback one and wide receiver three. And center? Yeah, and center. I mean, as far as as far as weaknesses go, <laughs> that's not bad. Yeah, they need a number one corner unless you think Weatherspoon and Reed could do it for this year. Yeah, I mean, it would be nice. I just don't I, – I don't know if I, I think uh, – I think if you have two good cover corners, then you're, you're okay. Yeah. So, um, yeah, all right. Well, interesting times, dude. Uh, and we will obviously keep people informed. If you haven't already, click the subscribe button. Click the bell to get notified for our next emergency pod whenever that shall be. Uh, and then go over to patreon.com slash Join up um join the slack channel and get the information that i get um it's become my number one news source for seahawks news so uh head over there and uh like i said last time we're gonna try to figure out how to do a happy hour with the crew sometime soon and uh look forward to having you guys join if you're over at the patreon uh patreon community so thank you all for tuning in on a surprise thursday night and uh have sweet dreams about seahawks sacking the hell out of every quarterback they face because that's what i'm gonna be dreaming about